Wow. Ooh. I do. Yeah. Hmm. Yes! <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. Bubble. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast that is all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the gaming table. I'm Alan Gerding, and this is episode 127, I believe, if my counting skills are still up to snuff. And with me, I have a gentleman guest. You may consider him a tabletop tycoon. Woo! Who are you, sir? My name is Dan Yarrington, tabletop tycoon. How'd you come up with the title, or how did you get bestowed the title of Tabletop Tycoon? We had to come up with a name for the company as we consolidated our different divisions. We had a lot of different things going on. That was the title that we came up with. It's just kind of a fun way to do it. I've also been called by the one of the local newspapers, I forget who it was, back in like 2015, dubbed me the King of Kickstarter. I do have the distinction of having done more Kickstarter campaigns than anyone else on the planet. So I thought appropriate to be able to say, yes, I'm somewhat of a tycoon. And I keep waiting for the people to call me and say, yes, I need 100,000 tabletops, please. I'm building a, a very important restaurant. <laughs> Not that kind of tabletop. You're welcome to be a guest. From that title alone, more Kickstarters than anyone else. That's insane and so exciting. What is the story here of Dan Yarrington? Five-year-old Dan Yarrington playing board and card games getting toys for from Toys for Tots for Christmas and stuff. So I grew up with a, a decent-sized family. We have five kids, including myself. And so we played board and card games all the time. I'm dirt poor, and so we didn't have a lot of money, and board and card games are a great value for that. And keep in mind, this for, for those younger of you, this was back in the day when there were three channels, and we got two of them. So we played all the classic games. We still, to this day, do a, a continual sort of Monopoly challenge. We have very serious Monopoly games at the holidays. And we play a variety of other games, too, as we developed over the years. But I started back uh, when I was a kid just playing games. Then in uh, my teen years, I started playing, it was 94 is when Fallen Empires came out. And I started playing Magic at that point. I still play that to this day. Back in like third or fourth grade, I think it was probably fourth grade, it was the first time that I was building Dungeons and Dragons characters in class with my classmates. Played a little bit of everything, uh, played video games, Nintendo stuff and all that growing up. In 96 is when I really started getting into the industry, started running events locally at local community colleges, starting going to Gamma, and eventually I developed that into, we started selling online and locally when we started Myriad Games, which is our first company in March of 1999. So we're coming up on uh, almost 20 years of that. Was that just a online store or did it have a physical location as well? We started online and then we fairly shortly after that had a physical location as well in a very small town. And we still sold online and we sold a ton. We were an eBay power seller, if anybody remembers what that is. I do remember that. Yes. I believe at one point we were the number one seller of Lord of the Rings, the trading miniatures game. If you remember that one from Sabretooth. I do. Disc Wars, the original Disc Wars, when it was randomized. Uh, we started running events, sold a lot online. And we had a little local storefront such as it was there in that little town. But I mean, you're talking a couple thousand people. So, And remind me, what town is this that we're at? In Houghton, New York. 
And so myriad games obviously just means a wide variety of games. And so we always try to carry a wide variety of stuff. So far, you've just been spending a whole bunch of time with retail in the gaming industry. If there's a retailer listening to this podcast right now, is there any singular pro tip that you could provide? Well, magic obviously is the thing that sort of underwrites the entire local game store economy. Magic could be 30 to 70% of their revenue. Magic is definitely the game that is the biggest piece there. Other than that, all the other board games and stuff, obviously like board games as a whole, as a category, became a bigger and bigger part of our sales. I wouldn't say that local stores in general are thriving. There's a few Scion stores that people think of like, oh, this store is so great. And I would go, yeah, these are awesome stores, right? And that's more and more challenging to make true. You either have to be in a community that truly is resisting that urge to just have the convenience and the perceived unlimited selection online. Retail in general is just taking a beating right now. Toys R Us, baby. Look at that. Yeah. Can a local store survive and potentially thrive? Yes. What usually that requires is someone who is overqualified for that position. So if I'm really good at selling games, I probably could be really good at selling pharmaceuticals or cars, something that would make me more money. And so you have a shift in how people buy things and how they experience products. You see that with board game cafes or board game pubs that are going, hey, we're a restaurant uh, or a bar, and you can also play board games here. Yeah, the hybrid model. It's not just games. We also provide some type of service that makes it so we can thrive. So it's a unique sort of uh, position in the market, and we'll see if that's actually sustainable. I think that's a very difficult road to hoe as well because you're in a very difficult industry, retail, with industry margins that are shrinking for wholesale probably 3 to 5% over the last five years. So you've got pretty substantial drops there. And then you're also running a restaurant, which if you were going to pick one other industry that was the highest prone to failure, that's probably it. Yeah. There are a lot of great game stores. There are local stores. There are a lot of great uh, online stores. There are a lot of great cafes and restaurants and all that. How they blend together in the market, I think is sort of a very individual choice for that community. But at the end of the day, it comes down to are people buying it up? And so the reason that we're even talking about this was the first question is, why Tabletop Tycoon? Correct me if I'm wrong. We have Myriad Games. We have Ship Naked. Game Salute. What am I missing? Hit Point Sales does wholesale. Okay. And then so Tabletop Tycoon is the overall company. So we had to come up with a name for the company when we realized, okay, this is a larger enterprise that when we started, right, once you get to millions of dollars of revenue, you start going, okay, we need to structure this differently than being, you know, just a LLC or a partnership or something or a sole proprietorship. So that's where we then came up with that name just to sort of encapsulate, okay, this was going to be the overall piece. This is the empire. (laughs) If this is the empire, Dan, are you the emperor? Are you the CEO for all of these? I am the CEO and the president. Am I the emperor or Darth Vader? It sort of depends on your perspective, I suppose. I don't think of myself as the emperor. I'm a very collaborative person by nature, so probably not going to be shooting you with uh, force lightning. So going back to the original question, what I'm hearing is Tabletop Tycoon is basically for anyone who wants to do anything in the gaming industry as far as creating a game, no matter where you are along the line. Whether it be, man, we don't have representation in Australia. I really want Two Rooms and a Boom to be more available in Australia. Or if I say, I've got some cool idea that I want published. Or if I say, man, I really am sick and tired of having my garage 
full of all of my games and having to spend my entire Friday and Saturdays putting on shipping labels onto my damn game boxes to send them out to individuals, the person they should talk to is not a person at all, but the entire Tabletop Tycoon. Is that a good representation of Tabletop Tycoon? Yeah, and I think the caveat I'll give there is that we haven't automated a lot of these processes yet. So in that way, it's not really like Steam or the Apple Store or anything like that. This is all still handled by individual human beings. Which is actually appealing. Does that mean if I want some questions answered, I could talk to a human being on the other line to get those answers? You could. And the challenge with that is over the years, there's way more demand for that, for that assistance and that help than we have bandwidth to do. And one of the mistakes that we made earlier on, back maybe five years ago, is that we got really buried by all these commitments, right? We'd say, sure, we'll help you and we'll help you and we'll help you. And we spent a long time digging out from that because we made way too many commitments. We fulfilled those commitments, right? Even things like uh, Storm Hollow that took four and a half years. I was going to mention Storm Hollow. Yeah. And it's gorgeous, though. The game's beautiful. But good gravy, how much of a project that was. Everybody can go read about that on the updates, uh, four years worth of updates. But so long process, a lot of learning, a lot of losses that we were covering with just other capital that we invested. But the experience that that has now given us is to be a little more discerning about who we work with and more importantly, how we work with them. Dan, let's go deeper. This sounds like a hell of a ton of work. What about your personal life, man? Do you even have time for a personal life? So let's go deeper than the game industry. Sure. So my wife, Sarah and I, as I mentioned, we, we got married back. We both graduated at the same time, moved up here. We've been together, what, 15 years now? So we have three boys, eight, four, and two. I think we're going to stop there. It's a good set. I don't have a huge amount of free time, obviously, but I do dedicate what free time I have to family. So whether it's with my, you know, sort of extended family or with my sort of household family now with my wife and kids, uh, that's where I spend most of my time, whether we're going to movies or watching TV shows or playing games or, you know, running around outside or whatever we do. And I work a tremendous amount as well, obviously. So, and we have a whole team. I'm not doing all this stuff myself. That's important to keep in mind. Traditionally, the way it goes in family units is you either learn to really love the same thing that your parents do. I love the same music they do. I love the same type of political stature they take. Or there's this slight rebellion against it. Anything but folk music. My parents listen to folk music. Anytime I hear folk music, I just want to vomit. So which of those is it? Is there a lot of overlap? So right now there's a lot of overlap. I think that's probably based on a function of age. But right now, yeah, we play a lot of games together. They enjoy that. We play you know, video games together. We watch shows. Obviously, I'm not super enthralled about watching my big, big friend on Hulu or something. But... <laughs> seem to enjoy it so that's fine and we introduce them to stuff that we love right so we go oh let's watch gargoyles or let's watch you know the x-men series from the 90s or yes or amazing spider-man and then they're introducing us to new stuff too that they discover right they're always on youtube watching different things minecraft didn't exist when i was growing up and logan loves that so he does that all the time now that was a recent purchase that he saved up his money to get he had minecraft pocket edition and he wanted to get minecraft pc edition so they could build his own worlds differently or something i don't even really understand the difference between the two i just know that there's some difference and he really wanted to jump into the full thing we do a lot of the same stuff obviously we do a lot of outdoorsy stuff we go camping we have a big thing called Yarcon every year. That's more of like a personal sort of friends and family. We go camping in the woods for a week and a half and just get off the grid. We play a lot of games and we play a lot of video games too. 
What are you playing right now? On my 3DS XL, I have Link Between Worlds. Nice. And on the Switch, we have uh, Mario Odyssey and, of course, uh, Breath of the Wild. And then SNES Classic, the Super Nintendo Classic. So I, I actually still have my original Super Nintendo uh, with tons of games. I got the mini because it's just much more convenient. And I actually just bought the uh, remotes that have that are wireless because the cords on them are so short. Now I can move that down to the big TV and actually hook it up and play through you know games I love like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy III. They're all included on that SNES Classic. And, and then there's some new ones I never played, like Secret of Mana. But I was always like, oh, I'd like to try that or Earthbound or something like that. But uh, I don't have a huge amount of time for it. So we're always hiring new staff and training people up and trying to make things more efficient, more streamlined. And so hopefully I'll gain some more time over time. I, I hear from people who have kids that are similar age that you gain more time, you know, in a few years. So we're just sort of knuckled down from now until they get into kindergarten. All of them get into kindergarten or higher. And then we theoretically should have a little more time for ourselves. So that's where I'm at sort of personally. Let me ask you some hard questions. Are you ready for the hard questions, Dan? I am. You said that it took a long time to dig yourself out of this hole because you were saying yes to pretty much anyone and everything, taking that burden all at once. Are you out of that hole? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's uh, it's difficult because you always have challenges every day. So I don't know if I ever consider myself out of the scrum, so to speak. You always think like, oh, I just got to do this next thing. I'm never really caught up. Like I have my current challenges. I have over 8,000 unread emails, right? So in that way, no, I don't feel like I'm out of the hole, right? But if you look at the perspective of delivering the projects that we've delivered, like we definitely climbed out of that hole, right? Yes. Either on time or slightly delayed. I mean, at one point we had over 26 projects that we were committed on Kickstarter that we said we were going to deliver that had not yet been delivered. And so people were saying as, as other companies that had one project that didn't deliver went bankrupt, they were saying, well, geez, this company is not going to exist anymore. There's no way they can possibly do this. With a lot of hard work and a lot of grit, we we delivered all those things. So I think that's really notable. We definitely make mistakes. We continue to make mistakes every day. We made a lot of mistakes in the past, and we worked with a lot of people that have made mistakes. So we helped them through those mistakes. But we have definitely climbed out of that hole. We most of our stuff is either on time or slightly delayed a month or two, and so I think that's pretty good given the general track record. Well, you answered the main question because I was indeed searching for release dates. And now that you're coming out on time, just a month behind, two behind. Yeah, that is out of the hole. You ready for the next question, sir? Sure. Biggest regrets. And this is very generic in general. It doesn't have to be about tabletop tycoon. It could just be in life in general. Like, man, I should have never bet on that horse back when I was 22 years of age. Yeah, I would say... um Probably not being more discerning about the people that I'm working with. Let's get the dirt. Give me the skinny. Can you share personal details? I'll give it to you generally. I'll I'll give it to you in sort of detail in person over a beer or something. I understand this is a podcast uh, that a lot of people listen to, but man, I got to try. At the end of the day, it's this happens to everybody, right? Oh, I went into this relationship thinking this was going to be cool, whether it's with a romantic partner or with an employee or with an employer or... In, in my case, I work with a lot of different people. There's a lot of different deals that we're doing, and there's a lot of different staff that we have. And you're constantly trying to sort of navigate those things more than you would if you just, hey, I'm, I work at one place and I'm not in charge of things. And so I just sort of interact with a smaller group of people. That's a more sort of manageable, I guess, perspective. And so I'm always constantly trying to evolve that and sort of be more clear about my expectations. 
I am uh, quite a demanding person at times, but I'm also a pretty collaborative person. I try and balance those things out and be clear about at the beginning and say, hey, this is what I'm expecting. And if you can't deliver this, then we probably shouldn't work together. In earlier days, right, when I was less experienced, I wouldn't say that because you'd be afraid, well, I'm going to lose this person. I'm going to lose this opportunity. Uh, maybe Alan won't want to go to the movies anymore if I just go, Alan, if you don't show up, you're 10 minutes late every time. I'm not going to go to the movies with you anymore. Like you need to be on time. And so I'm more upfront, I guess, about that sort of thing because I've been burned enough by just, well, I think Alan will figure it out over time. If I just keep giving him a dour look whenever he shows up 15 minutes late, I'm, I'm being more direct. And that's yeah. the, um, that's my development. So that's from a sort of personal development standpoint and also from a regret standpoint, I think that's just a learning experience. You have lots of like individual regrets about, oh, I wish I hadn't published this game or I wish I had published this game. I wish I had signed that. But that is all endemic around the idea of navigating the world in a better way. And that's what I'm always trying to improve is the process by which I navigate the world. Karen Horney is a famous personality theorist. She came after Sigmund Freud. She said that there's three different types of approaches, moving towards people, moving away from people, and moving against people. Moving towards people is when you're willing to do pretty much whatever it takes to be part of a group or a relationship. Moving away from people is when you isolate yourself, where you almost have this arrogance where you feel you don't need anybody, so you'd rather spend your time and energy isolated and alone. Where moving against people means actually asserting power over them and perhaps even burning bridges, sacrificing your own diplomacy skills for the sake of getting done what needs to get done. What's fascinating about Karen Horney's theory is which one of those she said is the best. And her answer was, you need a good mix of all three being able to adapt, which blew my mind because according to Karen Horney, in order to be a fully functional person, you have to have the ability to be an asshole to some people sometimes. Sometimes people really need that direct confrontation in order for progress to be made. And I think what you just said speaks to that type of theory. You have to learn how to be able to say no or how to say, what the fuck, man, back up. And I'm still learning that myself. When I learned that, I was like, oh man, I really need to learn how to say no and how to be more direct with people. And I think that's most people. I think the challenge there is to, to be assertive or consistent and not let people bowl you over, but without being um, cruel. Yeah. Without just being like, Hey, listen, like there's a bunch of different ways to fire people. There's a bunch of different ways to train people. There's a bunch of different ways to call people to account. I hope, and I have not always done this in the past. Obviously I'm a human being, so I'm fallible in all many ways. But I, what I hope to do is to say, okay, listen, this is the standard. I'm not going to sacrifice my standards, but the way in which I do it will sort of be like an episode of Deadwood. I'm going to speak to you in this very conciliatory, flowery manner, but at the end of the day, you're going to understand exactly what I mean. Right. That is that you should not deal with this. We should not have this relationship if we're going to be at loggerheads all the time. And if you can suss that out before you run into those issues, what when you start the relationship, that's a better way to do it. Bingo. That's what I'm aiming to every day. But yeah, I can see myself in all of those things from Karen of the different attributes, right? Different ways when I'm dealing with my, training my kids how to do things, training my sons how to do stuff, or when I'm chastising myself for doing something wrong. Why did I do that? I'm such a bonehead. A lot of that is just learning to forgive yourself. 
we shouldn't expect people to be perfect. We should just expect people to evolve and adapt, and we should require that. But we shouldn't just say, well, you made this mistake, and therefore you're banished forever. And that's something I think our society in general is more keen to do now because we're less prone to actually directly conflict with those things that we don't want. It's easier for us to avoid. I think our default mode is running away from people. It's not resolving ourselves or running towards ourselves and going in introspectively and saying, well, why do I dislike that? The fascinating thing is we studied that there's overly simplified two types of aggression. There's overt aggression where someone directly tells you that they're unhappy and that they're perhaps upset because of these specific reasons. And then there's relational aggression, which is that ignoring or starting rumors or talking behind someone's back. The classic scenario of relational aggression is if you think back to maybe middle school where it's like, okay, listen, the moment Tiffany puts down her lunch tray to sit with the rest of us, that's the moment the rest of us stand up from the lunch table and go to a different lunch table. Okay, here she comes. Cha-chink. Let's go, girls. We've asked people, which would they prefer to have done onto them? Would you much prefer to experience overt aggression from someone or relational aggression? And almost unanimously, what do you think the answer is? What would you rather experience, overt or relational aggression? So I would rather experience overt. Everybody does, almost everybody, because you'd rather see the shark fin and oh, because that gives you the opportunity to resolve that conflict as well. And that's one thing I think you're really nailing right here. Part of the skill is learning how to do that, but also being able to identify those issues as early as possible, even before they occur. If you can say, here's some potential conflict that we may have in the future before we even begin this endeavor or relationship, so let's nip it in the bud ahead of time, that's brilliant business managing. But also, once you do find and discover things the hard way, being able to nip them in the butt overtly, obviously, that's beautiful. Dan, do you have any specific stories of overt aggression or some very difficult talk that you've had? One story in which this was a really hard conflict that I was dreading to do, but I'm really glad in the end, I had this difficult Deadwood conversation. Yeah, in most instances, we had one, an instance in, I want to say 2012, 2013, where a client came up to our booth, this is a Gen Con, and they came up to our booth and they started literally yelling at one of our staff and saying, I can't believe you would do this. Where's my product? It was a minor thing at the end of the day. The product was being delivered to their booth as they were walking over there. So they just blew up over the top. They didn't walk over and be like, hey, just want to check on the status of my stuff. They just went all offline. And I don't know why that was. You know, I never found out that they have a particularly bad day. I didn't particularly care because the method in which they were displaying their overt aggression in this case was not like, hey guys, I'm really disappointed that you haven't delivered this. When can I expect it? They just started yelling and screaming. And one of my other employees that was at the booth who was a very overt person, right? Who would not put up with that stuff. They would not tolerate that. They literally stood in front of the other employees, a female employee, this guy was berating. And this other guy steps in front and he says, what are you doing? Back off, man. Like, this is ridiculous. It doesn't matter where your stuff is. You're making me want to throw your stuff in the dumpster based on how you're talking. Why are you going to be disrespectful to this person like that? That was a scenario that was even hearing about it and talking about it, thinking about and this employee isn't even with us anymore. Neither of these employees are, are here. They've moved on to other positions and we still keep in touch every once in a while. But just the idea of that sense of bullying and abuse really riles me up. 
anytime I run into that. And that was one instance where I was just like, oh, that will not stand. Like that is not something like, I don't care if you're paying me a million dollars a year, you don't have the right to treat people like that. And some people just think they do. They think that they're God's grace on this earth. They don't understand the true humility that comes with that sort of attitude that should come with that attitude. And so they think they can cajole and browbeat and do all these different things to people. And that's just not respectful, right? You can respectfully disagree and you can loudly and vociferously argue points. But at the end of the day, you have to respect that the other person is a human being and that you need to take that into account. So that's a good example, I think, of something that's just beyond the pale from my perspective, really just blowing up at people. And I have done that. This is not to say like I would never do that. I have done that. So then when I do that, I have to then remind myself, yeah, that was not how I need to behave. And then I need to go apologize. Even if I was right, that's the hardest part. If you go, but I was right. You didn't deliver my stuff on time, whatever it was. That doesn't excuse the the mode with which you're displaying your overt aggression. You can go to somebody and say, if you miss this deadline, I will not be able to work with you ever again. That's a very extreme overt statement. We'll have to divorce you if you cannot solve your drinking problem would be an example. Presenting that in a different way, saying, I can't believe you're such a lousy, worthless human being. You can't even stop drinking. I don't even want to see you. That's abusive behavior. And so that line between supportive and assertive and abusive is not as clean as it always seems. It's one of those things that when you see it, you go, no, I'm not willing to put up with that. I'm not willing to let that stand because in a lot of ways, I tell my staff this, we make mistakes all the time. I make mistakes every day. I probably made 30 mistakes today, right? Little mistakes, big mistakes. My staff will make mistakes and I will always 100% defend those people. But if they're not willing to admit they made a mistake, that is a huge issue. That's just a sort of personality problem. And we all know these people. We run into them all the time where they go, well, nothing, I, it's not my fault. It just, that, that it just happened that way. Could you have planned it better? Could you have made a contingency for if that happened? Well, that's not my job. That's the sort of attitude that I find the most frustrating as opposed to, yeah, you're right. I could have planned that better, but I was expecting you to do that. You'll run into some scenario like that probably once a month. And that's just by dint of dealing with lots and lots of people. You just run into all different personality types. As a human being, we're going to make mistakes. I used to think I don't want to make any mistakes, which is the wrong attitude to have. Instead, it should be make as few mistakes as possible. But when I do make a mistake, recover from it as best as I can. And that doesn't mean covering it up or lying about it. It means owning it and learning from it. Because I think that's what regret is. Regret is when you make a mistake and don't learn anything from it. All the mistakes I've made, I'd like to believe I'm better off having made those mistakes than not. No matter how much it stings and how much it hurts, there's no progress without struggle. So trying to avoid that struggle means that you are locking yourself in to this immobile immaturity. There was a game we were just playing the other day that actually has a mechanic for that, where you have adventures and you gain like the adventure card after every adventure, regardless of whether you succeed or fail. So it becomes part of your story that like, oh, you attempted to get into NASA and you failed. So now that's part of your story. But the idea of you are the sum of your experiences is sort of a universal thing. And so the idea of embracing those experiences and saying, yeah, no, we had a game that was delayed by almost five years that we were responsible for delivering, in this case, Storm Hollow. That's part of our story now. And so we don't shy away from that. And then I have relatively limited patience for people that say, oh, you made that mistake and sort of try and 
say, well, because you made this mistake, I shouldn't even talk to you. I say, okay, uh, Mr. Christ. <laughs> that's what you're asserting. And that's holding human beings to an impossible standard. Right. If you just say you should never, this came up the other day in a discussion about race and gender equality in the workplace, just sort of internally. I said, it has to be okay that we use the wrong term or we say the wrong thing or we do something insensitive. And it has to be okay that we call that out and it has to not be a big deal. It has to be a continual conversation because otherwise you're never going to learn. Otherwise, if, if you jumped on my throat every time I say something wrong that I don't realize is wrong, you could either jump in and educate me on why that's wrong and say, hey, I, I really don't like you using that term. And yeah. I might go, well, why? I'm a, I'm a straight white dude. Like, I just, I literally don't have context of it. Educate me and say, well, actually, you know, that's considered disrespectful. I'd appreciate if you didn't do that. And then I can go, oh, geez. Well, thank you for telling me, right? I, I didn't understand that. Now I had that perspective. If I said something insensitive once, which I would argue most people do almost every day, and nobody calls you on it, they just silently stop talking to you, then how are we ever supposed to learn from each other if yeah. we're not discussing it? It's a different scenario than like, well, you're a white supremacist, and uh, you just keep insisting on being a white supremacist. Well, that's not. there's no good excuse there. But you can't just say, well, this person said the wrong thing, and therefore we're going to banish them forever. And so that goes across all sorts of culture, all sorts of experiences. But I think it applies to every interaction that we have in this industry and outside of this industry every day. Beautifully said. It's the equivalent of some parent beating their child for not knowing how to do something instead of actually teaching them how to do it, which unfortunately is a pretty common thing that parents have done. How do you not know this? I'm a kid. I, I don't know any better. Right. Or... How can you not remember this? I've told you this how many times? And I heard that, you know, our parents were uh, a spanking family, right? Where I got the belt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got the belt plenty of times. And my parents weren't an abusive family. That was how you did discipline then. And so growing up in, in a culture where if you do that now, oh, your kids are getting taken away, right? You can't even do that. So then you start going, well, geez, I was raised that way. How do I, you don't have to start ass assessing yourself and go, well, is this a reasonable expectation? It's, it's all the same sort of stuff. In a lot of ways, it feels like helping kids to learn. That's really just helping people to learn. It's just helping people with very little experience. That's all the kids are. And they just have this amazing learning capacity. And unfortunately, what happens is that as people get older, usually, they lose that learning capacity. They slow down. They get more set in their ways. Exactly. We try and fight against that, or at least I do. I try and say, no, no, I want to change. And we have one of our core values, which I believe you can see right on tabletopbycoon.com. We have our core values up there is you should embrace and drive change. And that is a non-human thing. The human default is stasis. Do not change. I don't want things to change. And so we're asking people to be superhuman in a way, right? We're asking people to say, no, 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 look for how things can be better. Because in today's industry, in today's economy, in today's world, you have to do that if you want to get ahead, if you want to actually make a difference and improve things. If you just want to float through life doing nothing and accomplishing nothing, then yeah. Stasis is fine. And that's what, unfortunately, the default is for most people. But I don't have the patience and diligence for that. You don't become a tabletop tycoon by doing the same damn thing over and over and over again. Nope. And you don't become a tabletop tycoon by sleeping in all day, right? You got to get up and do the work. And so yep. the idea, there's lots of people that go, oh, yeah, somebody should do this. I think that somebody is you. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I'm here in the trenches every day working with people, talking with people, working through problems and challenges. And so I like that. I enjoy that. It's very tiring. I, I'm always trying to look for more help to do that better and ways find out what things I don't need to do. That's a big part of it, right? Well, I don't need to do that anymore. That was a bad idea. 
but that's how we continue to grow. So I'm still relatively hale and hearty. And so I hope I have many more decades of learning ahead of me before I finally pass on to the uh, great beyond. But that's where we are right now. I'll share one last story with you. It has really made an impact on me. My pop, meaning my grandfather, my mom's English, so we had Nan and Pop. So Pop became demented, senile, and so we had to take care of him late in his years. And he had almost no contact with me growing up as a child. But here I am, about 19 years of age, and now I'm living with this guy because I'm commuting to college at the time. Anyway, I'm living with my grandfather now, Pop, and he still has some wits about him, but... Anytime he'd walk into the room, he'd say hello to you as if he hadn't even seen you or met you yet. But I remember this conversation. Never forget it. I said, so Pop, you're really old. And he said in his English accent, yes, that's true. I'm very old. Do you recommend it? I asked him. Getting old? Yes. Yes. Getting old. Do you recommend getting old? His response, absolutely. You think that you'll get to a point where you will stop learning, where you will know everything, but it never stops. You always grow, you always learn more, and you always change. And therefore, you want that as much as possible. So live as long as you possibly can. And that blew me away because up to that point, I was a stupid adolescent thinking, I don't want to live forever because I've got things I want to achieve and then I want to burn out like some type of firework short but bright. But what he said is, hey, you can live an entire life just as bright. It floored me. And I think that's exactly what you're imparting to our knaves and knights that are listening to this. Dan, I really appreciate you coming on the show. That's a great story. I appreciate you sharing it. And I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate everybody listening. If people really want to get in touch with you, what's another way besides just going to tabletoptycoon.com? So you can email me at dan at tabletoptycoon.com. You can call my office at 603-792- 1141. You can reach out to me directly anytime. Give me a call. If you really want to talk to me, pick up the phone and give me a call or just drop me an email. My email, as I said earlier, is totally backlogged. So usually I tell people, hey, call me and say, hey, I sent you an email with some details. Can you look at it? And that's it. That's all it takes. I think people need to avoid being afraid of the... I can help be part of your retraining to stop being afraid of calling people, which is probably the number one fear, I think, that people have these days. So that's how it's best to get a hold of me, just the old-fashioned way. Or I guess you can write me a letter. You are the first guest we've ever had that have left a phone number for people in which to get in touch. That's incredible. Dan, is there anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, you can go back nothing personal. This is a new revised edition that Steve Avery has worked up. Steve Avery, friend of the show. That's right. Yeah, I listened to your uh, latest episode with him. So I'm sure he'll be talking about all this stuff as we are excited to get it out. It's gone through two print runs so far. We revised things a bit for this new edition. So this is going to be the third printing. And we sort of consolidated all the uh, expansions that were in different versions into one box. So that's kind of nice to be able to have it all in one. And then we have a little bit of new uh, mechanics, too. We have locations. Go to tabletoptycoon.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you can click to sign up to opt into our newsletter for Life and Times of a Board Game. We have uh, well over 10,000 people. I think we have over 15,000 people on there. And that's a great way to keep up with what we're doing. We send updates you know, maybe once or twice a month. It's not a huge volume. But that's where you'll be able to find out all the stuff that we're doing, the exciting stuff. And otherwise, just, yeah, get in touch with me anytime. I'm I'm at all the major conventions. We'll be at Origins coming up. We'll be at Gen Con. We just did PAX East here in Boston. So if you want to meet up with me, again, call my office or drop me an email. Uh, if you don't get a response to the email, give me a call. 
and then we can set up a time to chat face to face. Excellent. If you want to follow the podcast, you can do so on Twitter at PlayTKG. Better yet, send us your Nave Tonight's mission, comments, questions galore. Email us via podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. I'm Alan Girding. That's Dan Yarrington. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Thank you for listening to this episode, but you're not the only person I want to thank, no. I also want to thank Sir Delton Brack for co-editing this episode, and our resident intern, if you will, Sir Byron Morgan for doing the show notes and beginning to help us out with some social media stuff. I also want to thank Dan Yarrington for coming out to this episode. Make sure you check out Nothing Personal by Steve Avery. It's on Kickstarter as you're listening to this. So what are you doing? Check it out. I also wanted to take the time to thank B-Team. Yeah, I'm talking B-Team Will and B-Team Logan. They've been making episodes behind the scenes. So the next time that Sean and I are not available to make any episode whatsoever, they're coming back, baby. Yeah. But that's not next episode. No, 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 no. Next episode, 178. I'm bringing Sean McCoy back onto the show. My old biz partner. Woo-hoo! And we're going to talk about what's going on with our next Kickstarter. Coming soon, Matt Fantastics. That's not lemonade. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. We're also going to go ahead and knight someone and get back to some old school best friend business partner banter. Hoo-hoo! <laughs> I'll see you next time on the Tuesday Night Podcast. Kia!